to tell It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muffins, black and smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the official holiday podcast for people who just have to know the backstory of every minor supporting character in every story. Today, you get your wish, because our season of revisiting old friends continues with a return to the world of Rankin Bass for what might be their most forgotten Christmas special. So join us as we drum up an unnecessary sequel from 1976. It's The Little Drummer Boy, Book Two. I am Taxi Vader and terrible hide-and-seek player Mike Westfall. And joining me, because he had his people kick a hole in my front door, please welcome back Brandon Medley. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Mike. Um, I hope you're not here to collect any taxes. I have nothing. Oh, good. No, neither do I. I already did that. Once is enough. Thank you for being here. Was this your first time watching this? Yes. When you when you asked me about doing this one, I was like, "There's a book too." Um, I I can imagine a sequel to this. I I was vaguely aware of it, but I had never seen it before. Um, I watched it for the first time like an hour ago. Nice. <laughs> I didn't even know they made a second Little Drummer Boy until after starting the podcast. Okay, so okay, I'm not that far off the way. When you asked me, I actually said. Have I even seen the first one? And you said, yeah, you were you were on my episode. <laughs> okay, I guess I have seen it. Then. At least once. Um, but this is not one that I grew up with. No, yeah, and I don't remember, like, seeing it early in the morning and on one of those uh, ABC Family or whatever it was. It's freeform now, but I don't even think they have the rights for it. I think, it, I think TMC runs it now, but... Yeah, I, when I was looking for it on YouTube, I could not find the full version there, but they had um, the Warner Archives had a, like a segment of it. Right. They they like to do that. Um, with that logo on it, which is I know how I have Nestor mm-hmm. and the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus from the Warner Archives when they were doing the print on demand ones. Right. So I don't know if this one might be with them, too. Which would be TCM. So there we go. That makes sense. But I did find this hiding on the Internet Archive, so if you want to watch this for yourself, it is there. So The Little Drummer Boy Book 2 first aired on December 13th, 1976, a Monday night on NBC, which means Little House on the Prairie would not be seen that night. And what shocked me about this particular special was that it's the only Rankin-Bass special to ever be nominated for an Emmy. I saw this and was shocked by it because I'm like, this is not their, the best representation of their work. It's not even representative of their style as a whole, I would say. Um, it made me wonder, and I was going to look this up and I, I, I didn't ever get around to it, um, but like, had they just created the primetime Emmy category for children's programming or something? Surely Rudolph and some of those would have been nominated if that category had existed. I think that's been around for a few years before this, but I, there were no Rankin Bass nominations in there. I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. They did. They kind of made a branch off of this for a primetime animated program, I believe. Yeah. And that started the year after this, because I remember Halloween is Grinch Night was the first winner of that. But that was 77. So I don't know where Rankin Bass was before this, but I didn't see any other even nominations before this. And that blew my mind. Yeah. I'm not surprised that nothing that came after this was, did it receive nominations. Um, but you know, the stuff, some of the stuff before this, like not even a nomination, like, right. Cause it's not like there was an abundance of animated stuff being made. Pre heyday of Saturday mornings. and. 
I mean, there's like Flintstones and Jetsons. That's about it. Right. And this isn't even the best Rankin Bass special from that year. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, But first, let's get right into it. Again, if you want to watch this, I found a copy on the Internet Archive. I couldn't even find it to purchase on iTunes. So that looks like your only option to find this and watch it at the moment. Is this in that big that box set of all the Rink and Best stuff that came out last year? It is in the box set. You can also get it there. The the complete Rank and Bass Christmas collection released on DVD. Complete. Well, right, complete in quotes. Complete in air quotes. <laughs> it was what you told me what was missing. I didn't even notice. Like I remember. Santa Baby is kind of like so after Rank and Bass filed for bankrupt or got absorbed by whatever it got absorbed by, I think Lorimar. They stopped the life and adventures of Santa Claus was the last one before that happened. And then Santa Baby was made in 2001 under the Rankin Bass name to give it sort of the credit that they wanted to give it. So that's not included on this. I guess they don't count that, but I'm counting it. I never heard about them either. (laughs) It didn't get I don't remember. Well, again, 2001, December, we were all kind of thinking about other things. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird time. Yes, it was. Thinking about a Rankin Bass special. Yep. I was also like out of the target age range, but not quite into the nostalgic for this stuff. Age, you know, that is college. Mm-hmm. So this sequel to The Little Drummer Boy that someone somewhere had to have asked for, or else why are we even back here? And by back here, I mean still at the manger in front of the baby Jesus. We're picking up literally right where we left off. Last Jedi style. Yes, right. Even our storyteller, Miss Greer Garson, is back. The little drummer boy, Aaron, looked at the babe and thought, Surely there is something more I could give, something more I could do. Not returning is Ted Eccles, the original voice of Aaron. He turned 21 in 1976. Yeah, I'm not saying sure he had hit puberty by then. Yeah, not so much of a little drummer boy by then. So they brought in a young actor named David J, whose filmography on IMDb is very short, but he was in six episodes of Dark Shadows as this little terror of a boy who would turn out to be the Antichrist or an Antichrist. I don't know a lot about Dark Shadows. Yeah. Also not returning is Paul Freeze. He voiced like half the characters in the first one. He's not in this at all, which is weird because it's not like he wasn't available that year. Yeah, the voice cast, the, like there's some familiar names in it, but it's not it's not a bevy of the usual rank investment. No, no, we will get to some recognizable names coming up, but I don't know where Paul Freeze was. And it's a pretty slim cast. It is, yeah. Well, and it's a pretty slim story. True. But we know Paul Freese would have been available because 1976 was Rankin Bass's busiest year for holiday specials. This was the same year as The First Easter Rabbit and Frosty's Winter Wonderland and Rudolph's Shiny New Year. And we've already talked about those three, and Paul Freese was in all of them. This must have been like the... People who weren't working on any of those, like, y'all go do this little story. <laughs> but I can't believe he's not, like, voicing one of those animals or something. Yeah, he did all the animals. I don't know who's doing them for this. Maybe maybe archived footage and, and Paul Freeze is uncredited. But one of the characters he voiced in the original was Melchior, one of the three wise men. He actually voiced all three of the wise men. But the only one who talks here and has any sort of role in this story is Melchior, Specifically, the one who looks the most like Santa Claus, so fine. And the voice of Melchior this time around is Alan Swift. There is more, my son. Indeed, there is. For this is only the beginning. Who was also the voice of Santa in Twas the Night Before Christmas and the fox in Pinocchio's Christmas. Didn't I see Santa Claus with something else on his filmography? Oh, I don't know. The other thing I saw in his filmography, uh, outside of Rankin Bass, he's Underdog's nemesis, Simon Bar Sinister, and he's the voice of Twinkie the Kid. But Melchior is apparently so wise that he seems to read Aaron's thoughts about wishing he had more to give or do, and he approaches Aaron and says, there is more, and hey, stay out of my head, Charles. (laughs) 
I don't know why they didn't just make Aaron say that out loud to him. Now we've got a telepath. But Melchior says he's going to meet a very special man in a village outside of Bethlehem to help spread the news of Jesus' birth, and Aaron asks to go with him. This very special man is Simeon, who has been foretelling the coming of the Promised One for many years. But as Greer Garson tells us, Few believed Simeon's story, and most thought he was not of a right mind and dismissed his prophecy as uh, idle nonsense. She puts a bit of gruff voice as she says it, too. Idle nonsense. What I appreciate about this is I'm pretty sure I was probably said on our lesson, no, this is biblical, but Simeon is a biblical character. Yeah, I was going to ask, is this supposed to be the biblical Simeon? It sure seems like it. Well, I mean, the idea of like waiting to see the Messiah... That definitely fits. Nothing else, really. No, yeah. <laughs> um, no. Like, I mean, this is a midrash or something, you know, but the fact that they pulled, like, Simeon, like an actual character, minor character in Matthew? Luke. Um, Luke, okay. So. I didn't write down the chapter number. No, I mean, it's in Luke 2, 29 through 32, um, is the Song of Simeon, which is in the um, Episcopal Prayer Book. Oh. We say it during Compline, which is the nighttime prayers. Every night is the end of Compline. So I kept saying, oh, are they going to have the Song of Simeon in here? They don't. Spoiler alert. They should have. No, not enough music in this. But it really, like, they could have ended. Like, I, well, I'll get to, when we get to the ending, I want to come back to this. But, like, um, it's had, like, the perfect place for it. Yeah. They use something else, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, so for the unfamiliar in the Gospel of Luke, Simeon is told by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph present baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, Simeon basically says, yes, I can die now. Thank you. (laughs) This Simeon is also waiting for the promised one, but that's the only similarity I see here. Yeah, um... And even calling you a prophet, um, I don't think that's the, in the tradition, that's usually the word used for him. He's just some old man who's waiting at the temple for the promised Messiah. Um, But here they have him, like not only they call him a prophet, Mm -hmm. he's also a bell maker. He's a bell maker. He makes all sorts of bells, but for the birth of Jesus, he's prepared a set of giant bells made of pure silver. And were you worried like I was that they were going to try and shoehorn the song Silver Bells right here? I did. I have that in my notes. I was like, I cannot believe because they they do shoehorn several songs in here. <laughs> yep. Including they even managed to fit in the narrator. They don't sing it. I guess they can get the rights to the music, but they had the, the lyrics to um, I, I Heard the, the Bells, bells on Christmas, Christmas Day. Day, which the narrator works in at the end. But I was like, I cannot believe they didn't figure out some way to do silver bells here. Well, it I mean, I know the rest of the lyrics are not about, it's not like a Christmas hymn. It's about shopping in the city and stuff. But, you know, the lyric, the, the chorus or the melody or something, I can't believe it was. Yeah, I don't know if that would fit just anyone in the hills outside of Bethlehem singing city sidewalks. <laughs> they don't. It's okay. The voice of Simeon is Ray Owens. Fifty drachmas of silver? Oh, that's impossible. I have nothing, absolutely nothing of any value. Also known as Cliff Owens. His full name is Clifford Raymond Owens. But the internet tells me they're the same guy. Notably the first animated voice of The Flash in the 1960s. And he also worked on a lot of early anime dubs including the English narrator for Astro Boy and Kimba the White Lion. I saw that. They were saying, like, he's the king of the dubs or something is the nickname I saw mentioned for him. Oh. Like, all of those, like, when I was a little kid growing up, not really knowing what anime was before it became really big in the States, but they would always be, the they were released directed videos, you know, like Kimba and, things like that and um, be at the video store. But all of those movies that I remember seeing that were just these anime movies that showed up. I didn't realize they came from Japan, but like he's in just about all of the, the dubs that I would have watched. Okay. Now, are you familiar with one called Superbook? 
No. Okay. Superbook was a talking Bible that's also a time machine. It's a Christian anime, and Ray Owens was the English voice of Superbook, the talking Bible time machine. Wow. <laughs> um, no, I missed that one. There's another one, similar anime called The Flying House, which also involved children time traveling to stories from the Bible, but it's separate, but produced around the same time. It's like one of them. I don't know. I think it's the same company. I don't even want to make the Ants and Bugs Life comparison because I think it was the same studio. But in that, Ray Owens was the voice of Jesus. But yeah, it sure seems like this is where Rankin Bass got the name for this character from that biblical Simeon. But the story here is very different. For one, we don't see baby Jesus again after the opening scene. We're following everybody else now. This is the Rogue One of Christmas stories. Well, there's a knock on Simeon's door, but it's not Melchior. He and Aaron won't get there for a while. No, it's a group of Imperial tax collectors led by Brutus, but not that Brutus. This one's a Roman centurion voiced by Zero Mostel. Just tap lightly and use a more gentle tone of voice. Of course, break down the door, you don't! Immediately! Yeah, there's our big star power for the special. Yeah, I really like the character design on Brutus. He's a great character design. Like, the arm here is really distracting. <laughs> like, the way they cut, like, on his forearm, just like these weird patches in a line of arm here. But, like, the face is very expressive. Like, the way all the other Roman soldiers pretty much look the same, but then he's this big Brutus beak. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's a good, it's a good design, and, and what Zero Michelle is always funny. He, he, you can tell he's giving it his all on this, um, even, even for this little special. Oh yeah, I, I mean Zero Michelle gives his all at everything he does. Famously, Tevier and Fiddler on the Roof's original Broadway cast. He originated the roles of Pseudolus and a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum, and Max and the producers. Yeah, that's my favorite. He had a very good episode of The Muppet Show that I remember that he has this same, like, giving it 110%. Yeah. But as an actor, he is the MVP of this special. And he's got a group of lackey soldiers, most notably Plato, which is short for Plato, you fool! Which is the only way Brutus addresses him this entire special, loudly like that, every time. No, and there's the one time where he does refer to the philosopher Plato, and he's like, the other one, not you. <laughs> <laughs> and Plato is voiced by a familiar Rankin Bass name. It's Bob McFadden. Uh, Brutus, my master, these bells. Uh, I think they're made of pure silver. We've talked about him a couple of times. Uh, he was in The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus as Tingler, The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold as St. Patrick. He was also in The Bernstein Bears' Easter Surprise as Boss Bunny. Uh, most famously, the voices of Snarf and Frankenberry. So Simeon can't afford to pay the Roman tax. So he hides his giant silver bells under some sheets and hides himself under there as well. And Brutus's men break down the door and can't find him at first. It takes them a little too long to look under the giant white sheet in the corner. But there's Simeon, who insists he has nothing of any value while standing directly in front of his giant silver bells and holding his arms out like, nope, nothing to see right behind me. Yeah, and all of his bells are made out of silver, right? Like, isn't that what he made those smaller ones out of, too? I get thinking of this whole scene, like... I'm assuming so. I have nothing about you except all the silver everywhere. They all looked silver to me. They just had different handles on them. But Brutus replies, at first with very calm, quiet tone, Oh, well, if you have nothing, then you'll pay nothing. Oh, nice. Then he immediately shouts at his old man, Drag these bells out of here! Simeon begs them not to take the bells, but hey man, you just told these guys they meant nothing. So one of the soldiers lifts Simeon up and tosses him across the room with one hand while the rest carry out the silver bells. All of these Roman soldiers are just throwing people across the room. It's not just Brutus with this brute force. 
Yeah, even though they're all um, like stick thin. Right. So when Melchior and Aaron arrive, Simeon explains what happened, and it's Aaron who comes up with a plan to infiltrate the soldiers' camp and steal the bells back. And that's the plot of this special now. This whole thing reminds me of a side quest in a video game where you're not even playing as the main character anymore. Yeah, it it's definitely a side quest special, and that literally is the plot of the special, and that's the whole thing. Like, it's... It's only 22 minutes long, but it feels even shorter than that. It does. Because nothing nothing happens. No, this <laughs> this is all that happens. Like, this is the whole thing now. There are no meanwhiles. No B story. No, this is the B story. Yeah. This is what happens. You want to find out the details of what this side character does? This is what he's doing. We got it. So Aaron's plan is to pose as a beggar boy asking to perform for them with his animals. Oh, I forgot to mention, Aaron still has his troop of dancing animals. They don't really have a big part in this story, but they're all here. But the camel. Samson? Isn't that what they call the camel? Joshua is the camel. Samson's the donkey. That's right. Okay, I was kidding. I really like the camel. I don't know. There's always, you know, the, the animal or something in these specials that I'm always like, I love the way that one looks. This is the camel for me. When I was watching this one this evening, though, um, my wife came in while the animals were screaming. I'd be scared of that possessed lamb. <laughs> <laughs> so the lamb was not the best. No, Bob the well. Remember, Baba the lamb was close to death in the last one. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> oh well, got run over by a chariot, famously saved from the brink of death by being near baby Jesus. Oh, I do remember that. Now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I need to go back and listen to a rerun <laughs> from the archive. <laughs> so we have Baba the Lamb, Samson the Donkey, Joshua the Camel. And that's the only plan Aaron's got, but it's a start. Step one is finding out where the bells even are. So Simeon, Melchior, Aaron, and his animals all set out into the desert that night in search of the tax collector's camp, which they find in what's about 10 seconds for us. But Greer Garson tells us just when they could hardly move another step. They just had to follow the singing. Yeah, that's all they had to do. Well, they haven't started singing yet, but yeah, that, that is eventually how they find them. They're just resting for the night, but Brutus tells Plato, you fool, to bring him the bag of coins they collected that day. And he just takes out some to look at them. Says it's a shame it all belongs to the Emperor, because it's hard for him to not be greedy with all that money at his fingertips. And hey, that sounds like a song cue. Money, money, money makes you poor, makes you rich. Money, 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 it's the gold and silver. This song is called Money, 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 and it's the only original song written for this special. <laughs> I didn't, wasn't even aware that the title of the song, but I wrote down that this reminded me of Mamma Mia. Um, <laughs> when they see Money, Money, Money and Mamma Mia, and it's just, they all stop for no real reason and sing about money. Um, like, even some of the choreography reminds me. <laughs> You're not wrong. I didn't make that connection. But now that you say that, yeah, that's it. That's, uh, but so far, I think this is the third song like this that I've covered on this podcast, by which I mean songs about greed specifically and specials are set around the nativity. And I'd rank this in the middle of the other two. I like it less than When the Goose is Hanging High from the first Little Drummer Boy, sung by Ben Harriman. But I like it a whole lot more than that song from the small one that the merchants sing. My memory's gone on that one. I know I've seen the small one multiple times. I've talked about it with you, but I, it, but I can't remember their song. Well, good. You probably blanked it out. They're singing about how before money was invented, people would trade their goods and services. But now money is king. And it's toward the end of this song when Aaron and the animals start to sneak up into the camp. Just in time to hear Brutus tell Plato, you fool, to do something about those wretched bells so they don't have to carry them all the way back to Rome or whatever. Plato suggests they melt the bells down to bricks of silver, which Brutus thinks is a great idea. So he orders his men to get a big fire going to melt the bells. And that's when Aaron decides he needs to act fast and approaches the camp with his animals dancing behind him. 
Baba the lamb is hopping up and down on his hind legs with his little ears stiffly sticking up in the air and his knees are all locked. He looks like an action figure of a bipedal sheep with no points of articulation. It's just a fascinating cheap animation thing that they decided to do. Well, we got to make the lamb look like he's dancing, too. Maybe maybe this is when Elizabeth came in and said the lamb looked possessed. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) So Aaron approaches Brutus and says he heard their singing. He hasn't eaten for two days and thought he could entertain them in exchange for a coin or some food. And he sings a little reprise of Brutus's song. You give me that pig, I'll sing your favorite song. For a sack of wheat, I'll make it twice as long. Which ends with Brutus saying, you collect money from us? No, we do the collecting around here. And as the song finishes, I almost missed this the first time watching it, but Joshua the camel sneaks off to the side and starts pulling the cart full of bells away. He just gets right to work. Maybe that's why I like the camel the best. And he's like, I'm not wasting any time. No. Like, come on, we've already been at this. Right. Um, we only get 22 minutes here. <laughs> and we're about halfway through now. While he's doing that, Brutus orders Plato to get the fire started. But my question is, these bells are already on a pull cart. What difference does it make if they're melting in the bricks? But that's what when he said melting down into bricks. That's not going to change the weight of the silver. No. <laughs> Maybe it'll be easier for you to swipe one while nobody's looking, but that's the only thing I can think of. It's one thing if you were still dragging them on the ground with a rope, but they moved them all onto a cart with wheels. So I don't know what the issue is. But Plato explains to his boss he and the others are having trouble starting a fire because they don't have any dry sticks or kindling. And here is where the suspenseful violin music kicks in as Brutus realizes... Sticks? Kindling? Drummer boy, come here. He's going to burn those sticks and the drum because they need a big fire to melt all that silver. We get a close-up of... I guess Plato rubbing the drumsticks together to start a fire. And I love the awkward jump cut from sticks with no fire to sticks on fire. Yeah, it was um, not the greatest effect there. Charming little stop motion attempt here. You tried, Rankin Bass. Aaron tries to take his drum back, but Brutus grabs him by the head and forces him to watch his drum burn. Brandon, is Brutus the worst villain in the Rankin Bass Christmas canon? But I love him. Like I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I find him very compelling, maybe because he is a good villain. He definitely seems the most cruel when you say it. I don't know. That's what I mean. Like Donner might be the worst. He's not a villain, but he's so abusive to read Oh, Donner's a jerk. <laughs> but like he apologizes, like he owns up to his mistake, to Donner's credit. I think Brutus is the most evil villain in the Rankin-Bass special. He's definitely worse than Ben Haramed was. Yeah. Sure, Ben Haramed kidnaps a child, forces him to perform, but he offered to pay Aaron and even set him free. Meanwhile, here's Brutus. No, we're not paying to watch you dance. In fact, I'm going to take your drum and set it on fire. You know, to melt these bells I stole. And you've got to watch. And you have to watch the only other Rankin-Bass villain I can think who might be more evil is Winterbolt. But he's Winterbolt. He's an evil sorcerer who was put in a sleeping spell and woke up to find Santa took over his turf. No one's beating the Ice Wizard in an evil contest. But Brutus is a different sort of evil and I think a close second at least. He's definitely the most cruel. Yeah, definitely the most cruel making Aaron watch his beloved drum on fire. And that's the image we're left with as we cut to commercial. The very sticks and drum he had used to play for the babe, lost forever in the flames. One Christmas, I'm going to get a Kodak movie camera for me and that son of mine. One Christmas, I'll get a Kodak XL movie camera, the kind that doesn't need movie lighting. Or maybe I'll get a new Kodak Sound movie camera. Ecto-Sound, that's what they call it. One Christmas soon, I'm going to get a Kodak movie camera for this grandson of mine. And for me. 
Don't wait for one Christmas to get a Kodak XL or Ektasound movie camera. Cause one Christmas may be too late. Hi, this is Scott from Holly Jolly Xmasu, your podcast destination for Japanese Christmas music. If you like Christmas music and are tired of the same old songs, this is the podcast for you. Join me each month as I explore my collection of Yuletide albums from Japan, featuring everything from city pop to 80s rock, long-lost jazz, and psychedelic garage rock. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. It's some of the greatest Christmas music you've never heard. And we return with Aaron still being forced to watch his drum burn. And Simeon and Melchior are watching from a hill, and they're about to run in and help Aaron, but they stop when they notice what the animals are doing. All the other soldiers are also watching the fire, but Joshua the camel motions to Samson and Baba to come with him, and they start making off with the bells. No one is paying attention to this. It's actually kind of anticlimactic. There's no kind of danger of them getting caught. It was just like, oh, they did it. They're done. Yeah, they accomplished their goal pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, Aaron has to lose his drum, but there's no um, quote-unquote battle or adventure or wacky hygiene or anything no. to getting <laughs> the bells like you would expect in some kind of cartoon. It's just... They go and they get them. Yeah, not even much suspense. It was like, I hope no one turns around and sees us making off with these bells. There doesn't seem to be any danger to that. But only Melchior and Simeon are watching them quietly walk out of there, pulling the cart with the bells up the hill with them. Aaron doesn't even notice until they're well on their way up the hill. And while Brutus continues not looking at Aaron, he makes a run for it as well. And I thought this animation of Aaron darting from tree to tree was a little weird. Did you notice that? No, I was just trying to remember what it looked like. Um, I can't really. I don't don't remember anything about it. Um, Noticing anything. I feel like Rankin Bass cut a lot of animation corners with this special, which is another reason why I'm like, this is the one you submit to the Emmys? I definitely feel that way. He looks like he's zipping on one leg like Gumby. But even compared to Gumby, it looks very choppy, like they ran out of time and just had to do the best with the time that they had. Which is especially weird, because then they cut to the next scene, and Aaron is very smoothly running up that hill to catch up with his animal buddies. It's like there was video game lag for a bit. You know how when you're playing a game and you're in some kind of dense forest and the game starts to lag trying to render all those trees and bushes? Yeah. That's what's happening. Well, that leaves us with a very confused troop of tax collectors looking around the spot where they left the cart and trying to figure out where the silver bells went. Brutus asks them again. I love how he starts in a mockingly hushed tone. Oh, am I intruding? I certainly don't wish to rush you, but... What do you idiots think you're doing, slapping around and staring at your feet? We don't even get to see Brutus's reaction when Plato tells him the bells are missing. I'm kind of bummed about that. Brutus just shakes his head and fades out. I don't think Brutus really cared about the bells. I don't know. But we don't really get a, any kind of resolution in Brutus. No, not yet. But for now, we fade back into Melchior, Simeon, and all the animals digging a giant hole in the sand to hide the silver bells because they were smart enough to realize there was no way they're going to get very far before the tax collectors catch up with them. But they managed to dig a really big hole in a short amount of time. (laughs) They did. (laughs) Well, they weren't doing anything else besides watching. Because digging in dry sand is hard. It just fills back in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like somehow managed to dig um, this hole big enough to cover church bells, basically. Well, they were near an oasis, so maybe they found a damp spot. That's the only thing I can think of. 
So they're going to cover the bells in sand to make them look like the other sand dunes, and Aaron catches up with them here in time to help. They all hide behind the fake dunes and watch as Brutus and his troops just walk right past them. Again, no suspense here. It actually looks like one of them is right on top of one of the bells in disguise as a sand dune and just shouts to Brutus, There's nothing here as far as the eye can see! So they move on, and we later see them back at their camp, and Brutus asks asks his men, Who among you remembers silver bells? Any of you? Good. By which he's telling them, hey, this never happened. There were no bells. There was no bell maker. Brutus doesn't want to go back to Rome embarrassed. So this just never happened. This is where he says that line. What did you say he said? I only read that part of that. I think he says, of all the beasts in the world, boy is the most unmanageable. Yeah, that's it. Um, boy is the most unmanageable. Is the part I wrote down. So I know he said that. Um, and that's the part that he says is a quote from the philosopher Plato. Oh. This is where he's telling Plato, his soldier, the other Plato. Right. <laughs> the real Plato yeah. or something he says. It was your Greek namesake Plato that once said, Of all the animals, the boy is the most unmanageable. The line that stood out to me besides that was that Brutus has, quote, been made to play the part of the fool. He admits, he got me. And Plato replies, and you were glorious, Brutus, my master. And that's it. That's the last we see of Brutus. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not, this is the most resolution we get from him, but there's not any kind of the usual rink and bat stuff of like, the villain comes to see why they were wrong the whole time and they have some kind of redemption moment or some kind of defeat. Um, it's just bells. Where, where are the bells? No bells. Nope. And they go on. This never happened. He just takes the loss, tells everyone he knows, forget this ever happened, and goes home. Yeah, see, here's where Winterbolt wins the evil contest. He would have wanted sweet revenge. But now we cut to the silver bells hanging in place in a scaffolding in what looks like a church tower in the middle of the desert where no one will be able to hear them. But people do because we get a whole montage of them here. <laughs> we do, yes. So they must just carry far and wide. Simeon thanks Melchior for his help. They both go to find Aaron, who's crying while his animals try and console him over the loss of his drum. And Greer Garson is left to move things along, telling us after talking with Melchior, Aaron realized the event that was about to happen was more important than his dumb old drum. And the event that was about to happen is Simeon ringing the silver bells. Playing not the song Silver Bells, but the much more appropriate to this story, Do You Hear What I Hear? I did like this montage a lot where you see that song is playing and you see Simeon and the others going around and telling the shepherds and others that about Jesus being born. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a nice little montage, um, even though the angels are the shepherds. The, the night wind. Yeah. Um, biblical accuracy has not been the forte of, of these specials. No, not at all. Especially not here. I did like the inclusion of the song. I, I really like Do You Want to Hear What I Hear as a, as a Christmas song. Yeah, me too. It's one of my favorites. The story of the writing of the song is always interesting. The uh, songwriters wrote it in response to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes, I forgot about that. Record it like weeks, like yeah, the month that that happened, and, and talking about how they couldn't sing the lines in the recording studio without being moved to tears in thinking about what they had all just been through. Yeah, knowing that that's when and why they recorded that song puts it in a whole new light for me. And I I think that might be why it's one of my favorites. And here they only play a shorter version. It's only two verses out of the four. But the kids choir still does a fine job. Do you have a favorite version of Do You Hear What I Hear? I was just trying to think of that because I knew you were going to ask me. Um, 
There is a hit. Give me a minute to think about who sings it. What my favorite version, Mike, is Copeland. Copeland. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy. The Tooth and Nail Rock Band from 2001-ish. Oh, they're a Tooth and Nail Band. <laughs> On Happy Christmas Volume 4, I think. That was Looking them up now. Oh, hey, they're from near where I live in uh, Lakeland, Florida. Yeah, yeah, Lakeland. Huh. Neat. Yeah. Well, I'm going to include that in the show notes. Yeah, it's kind of like that pop punk um, style, like Reliant K and that kind of okay style of rock. Yeah. Pop punk, whatever. I don't know what it's called. I listened to yeah. it a lot in the 2000s. I know what you mean. Yeah, I still do every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I still listen to it all right. on Christmas. Like, those Happy Christmas volumes and the Reliant K Christmas album. That's a good one. They didn't do that song. They should do that song. Yeah, I, some of their stuff that later wound up on that album were on these Happy Christmas. Okay. What is your favorite version, Mike? I have two. Well, I have one. Like, my very favorite is... It's on Disney's old Christmas record. It's by the Mike Sam Singers. A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. That's the first version of the song I ever heard, so that's the one that kind of stays with me when I think of that song. There's a fun version. There's a band called Spiraling who does this song in the style of the Who's Baba O'Reilly. It works really well. I have heard that. I yes, I've heard that version. I didn't know who did it, but it does really work. Yeah. This band spiraling that I knew. I saw them open for They Might Be Giants years ago, back in the nineties. But uh, I followed them a bit and, and picked up this song when they released it. Oh, I want to say in the MySpace days. But Greer Garson tells us that all of Bethlehem heard the bells and knew the prophecy of old Simeon had come true, and that sends his whole village following the star, which is still in the sky and has been throughout this whole special. So why do we need the bells? (laughs) (laughs) And why do we need Aaron to show the way if the star still... Go that way! It's the only star they put in the sky! It's how you found it in the first section. <laughs> I think that was just Simeon's way of giving Aaron a brand new drum. All right. So he gives him a brand new drum. And what did he say? A mere few hours work for a bell maker. Which makes no sense. But also, this year, I built a djembe drum. You did? Yes. <laughs> and it took two days. <laughs> it has to take at least two days because whatever you're using as the top, which I would assume be the same thing I used or something similar, which was a goat skin. Right. It has to be wet to be stretched and it stinks like wet dead animal. Oh boy. <laughs> and then it has to sit overnight before you can finish tightening it. Um, and then you have to re-wet it and stuff or it'll bust. But it, it's a very long involved process to get it get the head of the drum on a handmade drum like this. And it's not like you can just use any old skin lying around either to quicken the process. Yeah, and this, um, the way this drum was made, too, he just had the drum had tacked around. There were no ropes to tighten, so I'm like, how's he even going to tune this drum? This thing probably sounds like crap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a kid's drum, but the way he presents it is, well... They don't know how to get to the manger because they don't know how to follow the star. I don't know. Anyway, ask them to lead everyone with his drum. Aaron's confused. Like, what drum? My drum burnt. Were you not listening to me while I was crying my eyes out earlier? And Simeon replies, this drum, and hands him the brand new one that he made in a few hours, allegedly. He probably just had an old toy drum sitting in the back. It was behind where the bells were. No one saw him or took them. Yay. But with that, Melchior bids them goodbye because he has to head back home and tells Aaron, God will be with you. And they all look to the sky as they 
fade up and out. And here we end with one final scene, Aaron leading a whole caravan back to baby Jesus as Greer Garson recites, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And that is it. And this right here is where... I feel like they should have had Simeon go with Aaron to the manger. And then they could have taken, like, I mean, in the prayer book, it's already called the Song of Simeon. Yeah. Set it to some music. Right. But this is where you need to have him say, Lord, you now have set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, and I won't do the rest. (laughs) Right, yeah. That that would be a good ending right there. Like That would have been it. Done. I can die now. I can die now. <laughs> yeah. And then he dies. The end. And then- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would. <laughs> well, any other final thoughts on the little drummer boy book, too? I am astounded that this exists. Yeah. After it ended, I felt, well. I am astounded that this was any nominated. And nothing else by Rankin Bass ever was. And nothing else. That's the surprising part. That's the part. Not so much that this did. A lot of times for that category, say sometimes, you know, you have some filler nomination, you know. The fact that a Rankin Bass in the 70s got a nomination, that doesn't surprise me. The fact that it was the only Rankin Bass special out of however many dozens they made. Which means this is the only one they submitted, probably. So they felt strongly about this. I remember Romeo Muller saying the original Little Drummer Boy was his favorite Rankin-Bass special that he worked on. So I don't even know if he worked on this one. I don't know. There's not a lot on the Internet about this. They're not readily available. Right. I didn't have a lot of time to dig too deep today. But, like, usually there's a Wikipedia page. There wasn't one. No, they shoved in what information there was in the original Little Drummer Boy Wikipedia page. Yeah, you could find a little bit of trivia on IMDb about it. You could find, like, the Rankin Bass wiki. There was a very short entry about it, um, which is mostly just the same information. And then, like, you know, there's not a whole lot. Like, usually, you know, we find some trivia or something. But I didn't come across much. Yeah, this is... Very much like I keep saying, Leprechaun's Christmas Gold, that's the most obscure. Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, that is. No, this is absolutely the most obscure Rankin-Bass Christmas special. And it seems to be like another case of we have a license to use this popular Christmas song and we need a place to put it. So they already have characters that are mentioned in Do You Hear What I Hear. We have a little lamb. We have a shepherd boy. We have a king. Let's just bring those guys back. Yeah. Yeah. That it does definitely seem to be how I mean that definitely see, always seems to be how they build their specials. What song can we build a special around? Um right. and at this point they're not even worried about like making original songs that much. You know, we just get the one. No, just the one. And so but they've also even though this is not the only half hour rank and bass special, I mean there's lots of them are half hour. This one felt shorter. This felt like the shortest one. Maybe because the plot is so slight. Yeah. But it also, like, sometimes when there's not much going on plot-wise and you start to fill a half hour or 22 minutes, like, it feels long and stretched out. It moves along at a good pace. Um, Like, but not a lot happens. Yeah, to its credit, it's short and sweet. But to its detriment, it feels a bit rushed. Like, if I had not looked at the runtime, you guys told me this was like an 11 minute Cartoon Network show from the way their <laughs> shows are mostly now, you know? Like, you know, yeah. They run between one commercial break. And and I would have said, yeah, that, it's a short, you know? Um, but the full half hour special. That's about right. So, no, this was interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not mad I watched it. I'm, I'm glad I was able to check it off my list. Will you watch it again? Maybe once. Definitely not a yearly thing, but every once in a while when I remember it, hey, they made another one. Let's put that on. Yeah. I'll be surprised if I ever watch this again. 
I mean, if I if I I might would if I had it. Like if I buy that box set. Oh yeah. Like and I have it, I'd probably put it on. But the fact that I had to go digging to the Internet Archive to find this, like I don't see myself going through that trouble again. No, I am very glad it's part of that collection. And that's going to be where most people are going to discover it. The similar way that we all discovered so many of them when those like Fox ABC family blocks, you know, if it hadn't been paired with the other things, we wouldn't have watched a lot of these. Yep. So very happy that this is not going to be lost to the sands of time. And that now leaves three Rankin-Bass Christmas specials left for me to cover on this podcast. But which three are left, I'm not going to tell you. But thank you, Brandon, for marching with me to the beat of this very unique drum. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. Every time, anytime I get a DM for you, I'm like, oh, what are we going to talk about now? <laughs> well, if people want to offer you a pig in exchange for a sack of wheat, where can they find you on the internet, Brandon? I am on Instagram at Blessed Are the Geek. I am on Twitter, as long as that's around, at BrandMed. Uh, I just created a Blue Sky account. I haven't really done anything with it yet, but it's um, at BrandonMedley. Okay. But I'm around. And of course, you can find those links in the show notes of this episode, and they're at adventcalendar.house. That's also where you can find wherever I happen to be hanging out online these days. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time when we set the table for Thanksgiving in July. Until then, for Brandon, from a bell tower I built in the desert with no one around to hear it, this is Mike Westfall reminding you to be careful of the icy patch, and if you don't have anything to pay your taxes with, at least have a better hiding spot prepared. Good night. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Thanksgiving on Melmac wasn't called Thanksgiving. It was called Fapiano. And we didn't eat turkey. Instead, we sat down to a nice, big, juicy stuffed. Time out.